So welcome to summer, <laughs> uh, or it welcomed us, right, with open arms. What was it, like 106 or something like that? I think it topped out at, or didn't, did it not get that far? I know, and uh, it did, 106. And then, um, so my mom lives in Yuma, and uh, I guess there's some places in Arizona that they, uh, that they delayed the flights because it was just too hot on the tarmac. So you can imagine if it's 125 or so, how hot it is on the tarmac. That's that's crazy. That's really hot. So we're not that hot. Uh, but it, it was pretty warm today. So um, I pray, even though um, your week's been full, perhaps the, the season has been full for you, maybe uh, a bit difficult that... You know, all these times that we come together, whether it be on a Wednesday evening or on a Sunday morning or any time of fellowship, any time we come together for Bible study, that it's a time of sitting at the Lord's feet, that it's truly refreshing. And, um, you know, one of the things that we're known for here at Refuge is just simply going through the Word of God, line by line, chapter by chapter, uh, book by book. And uh, there are no real surprises other than the occasional topical, which is, uh, happens on Father's Day, Mother's Day, you know, special occasions like that. But for the most part, we just go through the Word. And I was thinking about that, how it is that, um, you know, and I'll just share with all of you that uh, when we first started as a church, the inclination and the, and the uh, kind of the thing that uh, was m- a lot on my mind and my heart is, you know, uh, looking at in comparison to other churches, how are we doing along the same, you know, they're a year old, so where are we at with them? Two years old. And, and I couldn't help but do that at that time. And, and we were young and just looking for ways to make sure that the church was going well. And, um, but at the same time, you all know that the ones that were, have been here since the very beginning, we've been going through the Word as as we have been today. I think today more faithfully than ever before, just going through the Word. And uh, the Apostle Paul said that he uh, did not deny uh, giving the whole counsel of God. And, and that's exactly what I've just kind of fallen back to, the fundamentals of what we see in the Word of God, and that's to teach the whole counsel of God. It has nothing to do with what Joe is doing at another church or how his church is doing. Really, it's not about numbers. If you think about Jeremiah... Think again about numbers. You know how many people he led to the Lord? Guess. <laughs> zero. Zero. But he was faithful. But he was faithful. And so um, we can't get caught up in the externals. The reason why I'm sharing this is I want to encourage you um, that sometimes we're looking for so many different things. We really are in a church. Um, we're looking for a robust uh, ministry in, in all aspects. We're talking about like from children's ministry to youth to like, what are you doing for street evangelism? And what are you doing? And if, and it, and if you fail in one of those, and then you're like, well, I, I guess I won't stick around. But what makes a church is you. And sometimes if the Lord's laying it on your heart for a certain ministry, perhaps he's calling you to it, to be a part of the body and to take a step of faith and, and do that. It will never be perfect. Why? Because it's made up of people. In this side of heaven, we are not in all of God's glory. We are in imperfection, uh, and that's why Jesus came, right? And so I, I want to encourage you as we sit. This is a time um, of just sitting at the Lord's feet, of, of, yes, listening to Him as far as the teaching is concerned and the verses and chapters that we're going through. But let me tell you that in the midst of that teaching, that there is a stirring within your heart. Maybe it's it's encouragement as far as the ministry is concerned. Maybe it's uh, it's something that pertains to what you're going through in your season of of life. But I can assure you that it's not just one. It's not just one area. It's it's all of those areas. It's all of the above. Again, we tend to compartmentalize the Lord and why we're here and uh, we focus too much on our issues and pretty soon we forget about everything else. And really what we need to do is come to the Lord's feet and allow him to speak into us, not only 
about the issues that we're dealing with today, but also about ministry, also about those things that he wants to do in the coming days and in the coming weeks, as long as he uh, tarries, you know, as long as he doesn't come for us. So um, I'm just going to give you the whole counsel of God. And here we continue on through the book of Numbers. We're going to go through another two chapters today. Next week, I think we're going to slow down a little bit and we'll go through one. Uh, I, I doubt if next week, next week will be two. But this evening, we're going through chapters three and four. By the way, I brought this book up. Anyone heard of Lee Strobel? Yeah? Okay. So, this is his book, The Case for Christ. So, number one, how many of you guys don't have this? Just two, three, four, okay. All right, so let's pick a um, let's pick a number. You guys played that game, <laughs> okay? And if you know my favorite number, then you, you already know the number. So go ahead, Craig. What's your number? One through ten. Seven. Seven. Two. Two. Who else? Four. Four. Three. So, did you have it? No. Who else over here? Eight. Was that it? I think so, right? So, my favorite number is five. So, Steve. (laughs) Four, that's your favorite number? That was a good number. (laughs) That's a good book. The Case for Christ. All right, so we're in uh, Numbers chapter 3, the numbering of the Levites and their duties is what we have before us. Um, Even though the Levites, as we've learned, were exempt from being numbered as a whole along with the other Israelites as far as battle was concerned in preparation for it, God did command Moses and Aaron to number them for other than combat reasons. We're going to learn a little bit about that this evening. Now, Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 31 says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Now, that scripture has to do with following Christ. Let me ask you this, because sometimes we take that out of context. God wishes that just a few perish. No. No. God God wishes that none, right, zero would perish, but that all would come to or reach repentance, right? So, when we come to this section of Scripture, and and I want to put it all together here, because what we're doing is we're realizing the resources that we have. That's, That's what the Lord is doing with the Israelites. It's kind of like, it would be like us taking a census of the church. Okay, Modesto, what do you do? What, what are your, your strengths? What, you know, what are those things that you can kind of bring to the church, right? And um, Ray, how about you? you know, and you start going around and you start asking these questions just to find out what it is that we have at our disposal here within refuge to use to God's glory. So when the Lord is teaching about this and is talking about, hey... You have to consider the cost. He is not asking whether the person is willing or, or uh, you know, is, is, is to consider these things in order for the person to decide whether they're going to follow him or not. But it's for realizing whether the person is willing It's a matter of choice. Willing to follow the Lord at any and all costs. Not to see whether they decided to follow Him or not. After having learned 
that they fall short personally of being able to do so. In the flesh, we cannot follow the Lord. It has to be in the Spirit. That's why it has to be um, this, this personal surrender to the Lord. This is what we have before us. It's like, hey, listen, the, the Levites are going to be counted. They're going to be um, numbered together, and they're going to realize one thing. We, when we count the cost, when we realize, when, we, when we've been walking with the Lord, especially for, for a certain amount of time, and, and we come to the realization as we count the cost, maybe once more, we realize that we fall short. We can't do it. But we're willing to trust the Lord no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in and give Him all of the glory. As it pertains to the Levites, there are many that will be counted physically. But what is needed to be realized is that, is that there is no way they could do this without the Lord. And that's the whole point. Hey, listen, count the cost. But as you follow the Lord, realize that you can't do it in and of yourself. You have to continually cling to him, trust in him, lean on him, be dragged by him sometimes, you know, but, but know that he is the one who is your strength. We'll learn about this evening their numbering. And we'll learn about the specific duties of, of Aaron and his sons, as well as the Levites. There is a, a distinction, by the way. And uh, sometimes, you know, if we haven't gone through um, the, the teaching through Leviticus and Numbers, and uh, we don't realize that, hey, Aaron and his sons are actually separate from the Levites and their duties and responsibilities. So we're going to take a look at that this evening. Let's pray, and then we'll go into chapter 3. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that you are faithful, you are trustworthy, and you, Lord, teach us, I pray, Father, to continually uh, cling to you and know that we cannot ever do it on our own. That we, can, we cannot follow closely without realizing that we simply need to um, just completely uh, give our lives to you as living sacrifices and allow you to do through us that which you desire to do. And so, Father, we commit this evening into your hands, Lord. We praise you, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the introduction of Aaron's sons. Verse 1, chapter 3. These are the generations of Aaron and Moses at the time when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab, the firstborn, and Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priests whom he ordained to serve as priests. So just real quick, the introduction to Aaron's sons, we're introduced to them here at the time when Moses met with God out on Mount Sinai is what we read. Now Aaron had four sons is what we have listed here. The two oldest sons, Nadab and Abihu, well, they, they died. They were struck down by the Lord. Why? Because they offered unauthorized fire. That, that is not in the way that the Lord had commanded it to be done. And that's covered back in Leviticus. We covered that in Leviticus chapter 10. Now, Eliezer and Ithamar were the sons that were assigned the responsibilities of the priesthood under their father Aaron. Nadab and Abihu are no longer around. And so here we have Eliezer and Ithamar taking their place, so to speak. Now, here's the distinction is the sons of Aaron were not the same as the Levites. Aaron and his sons were given the duties of the priesthood, while the Levites served under their direction in the care and protection of the tabernacle and all of its furnishings. What we'll learn is that they were also tasked with, as Aaron and you could say the priesthood put all of the furnishings together, all the utensils together, they wrapped them up. Um, they prepared them so that the Levites could carry them when they were traveling. So let's continue on. So that was the introduction of the sons of Aaron. And then we go into the, defining the duties of the Levites. So verse 5. And the Lord spoke to Moses, 
saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aaron the priest, that they may minister to him. They shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting as they minister at the tabernacle. They shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are wholly given to him from among the people of Israel. And you shall appoint them, Aaron and his sons, and they shall guard their priesthood. But if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. Now, the, again, defining the duties of the Levites. They were, number one, they were assigned to minister to Aaron. Secondly, they were assigned to guard Aaron and guard the congregation. In the place in which they were to do that is not just any place, but they were to do so at the tabernacle in the Lord's presence. And how is it that they were to serve? They were to, the bottom line is very simply, they were to serve the Lord by serving Aaron. That's what they were doing. Now, Aaron and his sons were to guard the priesthood, keep under their care that which was their responsibility. So they, they had to work that out. And they had specific assignments. We'll see how it is that, um, as we've seen up to this point, how it is that the Lord is specific in the organization of the priesthood, of the Levites, all of their duties, how they did it, when they did it, all of those were very, very specific in all manner. Now, the Levites were given to serve the needs of Aaron and the priests, given to serve the needs of the congregation, and thirdly, given to serve the needs of the tabernacle. As, as I keep pointing out, God, again, is commanding order within his people. The Levites weren't there to do, quote-unquote, their own thing. Um, they were there to serve. Like I said, as they served Aaron, they were serving the Lord. But they weren't there to do kind of their own thing. They were there to serve Aaron and the one who would give them direction. In fact, it's commanded by God that if there was a Levite that decided it was his place to now serve in the place of Aaron and his sons, then the Lord was saying, hey, listen, guard, guard the priesthood. And that person in what he does is not to be taken lightly. We'll talk a little bit more about that a, a, a little bit later. But this person was to be put to death. And the reason is because it was an affront to God. It was a direct, hostile, and deliberate provocation of the Lord. It reminded me of Hebrews 10.31, which says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In general, these were the duties of the Levites as assigned by God to serve Aaron and the priesthood, the congregation, and the tabernacle. Uh, again, we're going to talk a little bit more about this and kind of work it out as we continue on. So that's what they had going on. And now we continue on. Uh, verses 11 through th 13 talks about the consecration of the Levites unto God him, by himself and for himself. Verse 11, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine. For all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated for my own all the firstborn in Israel, both of man and of beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. So it, it, it's simple as far as this is concerned because, again, God made the command. I'm not requiring for the firstborn of Israel to be sacrificed along like the other animals would be. I'm taking all the Levites as my possession. I'm taking them in the place of all the firstborn of Israel. And they are consecrated. They are separate from and unto me, from anything else, and completely devoted to serve the Lord. And, and that was the command of the Lord. All the Levites were consecrated for service unto the Lord. And they took the place of every firstborn of Israel. We'll work that out a little bit more as we close this chapter in verse 40. All right. So, verse 14, as we continue, this is the command that the Lord 
uh, gives to number the Levites. 14. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, List the sons of Levi by fathers' houses and by clans. Every male from a month old and upward you shall list. So Moses listed them according to the word of the Lord as he was commanded. And these were the sons of Levi by their names, Gershon and Kohath and Merari. And these are the names of the sons of Gershon by their clans, Libni, uh, Libni, Shim, Shim, Shimai, and the sons of Kohath by their clans, Amram, uh, Izar, Hebron, and Uziel. And the sons of Merari by their clans, Mali and Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites by their fathers' houses. So basically, in general, again, this is simply a command by the Lord to number the Levites. And what we have here is, is starting to uh, break down not only the sons of Levi, uh, which were Gershon, uh, Kohath, and Merari, but then their sons as well. So now we're talking about generations here. But he simply gives the command to number the Levites. And then we have the breakdown now. The Gershonites and the, their general duties. We're going to see Kohath and their duties and then Merari as well. So verse 21 as we continue. To Gershon belonged the clan of the Libnites and the clan of the Shimeites. These were the clans of the Gershonites. Their listing according to the number of all the males from, the month, from a month old and upward was 7,500. The clans of the Gershonites were to camp behind the tabernacle on the west with Eliasaph, the son of Lael, as chief of the father's house of the Gershonites. And the guard duty of the sons of Gershon in the tent of meeting involved the tabernacle, the tent with its covering, the screen for the entrance of the tent meeting, tent of meeting, the hangings of the court, the screen for the door of the court that is around the tabernacle and the altar and its cords, all the service connected with these. So speaking about the Gershonites. 7,500 of them. From a month old and older, they were all counted, all the males, and they had 7,500. They were to camp to the west, and that was opposite the opening of the tabernacle. So you could say they camped on that side. They were between the tabernacle and Ephraim, Ephraim was the, was the standard that we went over last week. Their duties included the care of the coverings, basically, of the tabernacle. All of them. And Eliasaph, again, we're, we look at this, this, uh, uh, this body that the Lord is bringing together, and he's commanding these things. Eliasaph, the son of Lael, was assigned as chief of the Gershonites, directly responsible and accountable for the work assigned to them. So we, we start to see this, this org chart coming together, so to speak, you know, as, as we would know it. And on the top of that org chart, you could say, uh, with this standard was Eliasaph. And then you have the Kohathites in their general duties, and that's listed verses 27 through 32. Verse 27, to Kohath belonged the clan of the Amramites, and the clan of the Izzarites, and the clan of the Hebronites, and the clan of the Uzielites. These are the clans of the Kohathites. According to the number of all the males from a month old and upward, there were 8,600 keeping guard over the sanctuary. The clans of the sons of Kohath were to camp on the south side of the tabernacle, with Elisaphan, the son of Uziel, as chief of the father's house of the clans of the Kohathites. And their guard duty involved the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the vessels of the sanctuary with which the priests minister, and the screen, all the service connected with these. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, was to be chief over the chiefs of the Levites and to have oversight of those who kept guard over the sanctuary. 8,600. So now we have 7,500 Gershonites, 8,600 Kohathites, and they were to camp to the south. So they would be to the south in that direction between the tabernacle and the tribe of Reuben. That would be where they would be located. Their duties included the sanctuary and all of its furnishings, including the Ark of the Covenant, the table of showbread, lampstands, altars, vessels or instruments, and uh, everything 
that went along with these. There were maintenance, there were care, you know, like everything that had to do with them. They were assigned to the Kohathites. Again, we see someone who was assigned as chief over the Kohathites directly. Responsible to would be Elisaphan, the son of Uziel. And he was the chief of the Kohathites. But what we have here also in the last couple of verses that we read, or the last verse that we read, is that there was also someone who was in that um, org chart. Um, in, uh, he was directly responsible for everyone, everything that was to go on. And that was the son of Aaron, Eliezer. He was assigned as chief over the chiefs. He was, uh, he was the, the one who took care of and would be responsible for the whole operation completely. He is the one who had oversight over every single person who served as guardians of the sanctuary. And so, like I said, it's, it's interesting to me because we start putting it together. It's like, wow, this is just very like, awesomely put together. And, and the Lord is assigning all of these people in different places to make sure that everything was taken care of. All the details were, were done and uh, followed through with. And so we have that. We also have the Merarites and their general duties as we continue. Verse 33, To Merari belonged the clan of the Malites and the clan of the Mushites. These are the clans of Merari. They're listing according to the number of all the males from a month old and upward was 6,200. And the chief of the father's house of the clans of Merari was Zeriel, the son of Abihail. They were to camp on the north side of the tabernacle on the appointed guard duty of the sons of Merari involved the frames of the tabernacle, the bars, the pillars, the bases, and all their accessories. All the service connected with these, also the pillars around the court with their bases and pegs and cords. So 6,200 Merarites were to camp to the north of the tabernacle between the tribe of Dan and the tabernacle. Their duties included basically all the structural elements of the tabernacle, the frames, bars, pillars, bases, and everything associated with them as we listed them in these verses. And of course, we see the person who was assigned to serve directly over them, and that's Zeriel, the son of Abel. He was assigned to be the chief of the Merarites and all of their responsibilities. Verse 38, we have the summary of the Levites and the priestly camp, the, the next two verses here. Those who were to camp before the tabernacle on the east, before the tent of meeting, toward the sunrise, were Moses and Aaron and his sons, guarding the sanctuary itself to protect the people of Israel. And any outsider who came near was to be put to death. All those listed among the Levites, whom Moses and Aaron listed at the commandment of the Lord by clans, all the males from a month old and upward, were 22,000. 22,000. So that's all together. Every, everyone counted, accounted for it. They totaled 22,000. So Moses and Aaron were to encamp to the east. To the east. And they were encamped between the tribe of Judah and the tabernacle. And everything that was to be done was to be done orderly before the Lord. Not one person, if you look at this, not one person was to do it all. They were all to share in specific responsibilities. They were each held accountable. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any supervision. There wouldn't be any leadership. There wouldn't be any accountability, right? And so there's this body and it's structured. And every, if everyone does their part, then everything comes together and it works the way it should be. They had to, although, although there was structure like that, they had to rely on each other. Because everyone had something distinct to do. It was assigned to Moses and Aaron and their sons to guard their tabernacle. Or, or guard the tabernacle. They were not to allow anyone in that didn't belong there, that weren't authorized there. And you think about, sometimes you think about um, uh, the priesthood, you think about what they do, 
And if you don't realize that they were to be guards as well, and um, <laughs> they were to take out anyone who wasn't supposed to be there, uh, these guys were, were had to be pretty tough dudes, no? Moses and Aaron, they weren't a couple of pushovers. The Levitical priesthood, they could not be pushovers either. They had certain responsibilities. They, they had to, like I was saying last week, inspect the sacrifices as they were coming in. We're here to offer this. No, are you serious? You're here to offer that? I saw limping here. And this is the best that you can do? There's no way. This, this, this sacrifice is lame. They weren't the most popular people, I would imagine. You know, but they couldn't be these people who were complete pushovers. They had to hold a standard. But what standard were they holding to? Whose standard were they holding to? It wasn't their standard. It was the Lord's standard. So it just got me thinking, man, you know, sometimes, you know, that what we have, this, this, this preconceived notion is that we have sometimes pastors and people in leadership that should just kind of bend to everything, kind of like to everyone's desire. And I think it should go this way. And I think it should go that way. Well, like as far as some of the things are concerned within the church, yeah, it's, it's fine. And, and you guys know me. I'm, I'm easy as far as that's concerned. But I won't budge as far as the standards of God, right? What his word says is what he says, and that's it. There's no two ways of going about it. And although it's been difficult um, to sometimes work out those things in our lives in specific situations, I'll always point you back to that and say, hey, it doesn't really matter how we're feeling at the moment. The bottom line is, do we surrender to the word? Do we surrender to the Lord? Is he our Lord or is he not, right? And so it was encouraging to me, and at the same time, I hope it's encouraging to you because sometimes we, when we do toe the line and we test it, we, we should always know that we're going to hold to the Lord's standard, not our own. The Lord's standard is always king because he is king and he is our Lord and he is the one whom we seek all governance from. So they weren't, they weren't weak. They weren't cowards. They stood before men by the command of God and kept his standard. All right, so let's continue, and uh, we'll wrap up this chapter. Now, this is uh, what we're going to read is the fair redemption of the firstborn of the Israelites. So verse 40, And the Lord said to Moses, List all the firstborn males of the people of Israel from a month old and upward, taking the number of their names. And you shall take the Levites for me. I am the Lord, instead of all the firstborn among the people of Israel, and the cattle of the Levites, instead of all the firstborn among the cattle of the people of Israel. So Moses listed all the firstborn among the people of Israel, as the Lord commanded, and all the firstborn males, according to the number of names, from a month old and upward, as listed, were 22,273. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites, instead of all the firstborn among the people of Israel, and the cattle of the Levites, instead of their cattle. The Levites shall be mine, I am the Lord. And as the redemption price for the 273 of the firstborn of the people of Israel, over and above the number of male Levites, you shall take five shekels per head. You shall take them according to the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel of 20 geras, and give the money to Aaron and his sons as the redemption price for those who are over. So Moses took the redemption money from those who were over and above those redeemed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the people of Israel, he took the money, 1,365 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. And Moses gave the redemption money to Aaron and his sons, according to the word of the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, verses 11 through 13 is kind of a basically what you could say a general statement regarding the consecration of the Levites by God to serve in the place of the firstborn of the Israelites. The firstborn is always that which is regarded as the best by the Lord, and the best always belongs to God. But instead we have in their place the tribe of Levi, Levi that is given to God by His command. 
there was a difference between the number of firstborn of Israel and the number of Levites. So we had the summary in the previous verses, 22,000 Levites a month old and older. But we have this discrepancy. Because now we've counted all the Israelites, the firstborn. And there was 22,273. Well, if we're redeeming them and it's one for one, we've kind of fallen short. So we have 273 that are extra of the sons of Israel. Well, they were assigned a monetary value that was to be paid for them, to account for them. It wasn't that there was no sacrifice or anything of value given in their place. There was a redemption price price for those who are over. It, it wasn't just, okay, we'll, we'll go ahead and look the other way for, you know, for these 273. No, there, there had to be a price paid for them, a redemption price, and that's what we have there. Now, the 22,273 sons of Israel are more than likely counted from the time of the exodus to this time that the census took place. Because as we continue on, uh, the sons of Israel that were first born were more than likely way more than 22,273. So it was from the time of the Exodus to the time of the census being taken. That, that's the number of firstborn males that we have for the tribes of Israel. All right, so there we have the redemption, and that's how the Lord commanded it to be done. One for one, and then the extra was to be uh, accounted for with the redemption price being paid for those Israelites who were over. Then we have the Kohathite age standard for service because it starts getting a little bit more detailed here. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Take a census of the sons of Kohath from among the sons of Levi by their clans and their fathers' houses. Well, we had done that already, right? But here, it's from 30 years old up to 50 years old. All who can come on duty to do the work in the tent of meeting. So, a bit more specific is what we have here. All of the ones who were counted previously were, were all of them together. But now we have specifically those who would be serving in the tabernacle. And that wasn't just anyone. You had to be between the age of 30 and 50. Now, he doesn't say why. He doesn't give any reason for it. But can you think of something that would be the reason why God would say only the ones between 30 and 50? I would say they were strong, right? strong. We're, we're going to learn about how much they had to carry. There was, there was like a large amount that they had to carry and heavy. And by then, they would have been, been brought up. The Levitical priesthood been prepared for this, but it takes some time. I mean, remember that God is a God of details. He is a God of order. Obviously, we've learned that. And so, God wanted to make sure, hey, listen, don't just put anyone in there. Make sure that they're prepared. By the age of 30, they're going to be serving. And they're going to have to know the order of everything that takes place here. All the sacrifices, all the standards that I've set before them. They're going to have to know the law very well, inside and out. It doesn't say, but we can, we can think about those things and... Yeah, it it took a long time for them to be prepared for the service. So that was a standard age uh, of of service as far as the age was concerned for the Kohathites. And it's the same for the Gershonites and the Morarites. It's the same thing from ages 30 to 50. Those were the only ones that could perform and were authorized to perform the assigned work in the sanctuary. So God's standard. The Kohathite. Uh, duties we see uh, continuing on, uh, specifically speaking, verse 4. This is the service of the sons of Kohath in the tent of meeting, the most holy things. When the camp is to set out, Aaron and his sons shall go in and take down the veil of the screen and cover the ark of the testimony with it. Then they shall put on, on it a covering of goatskin and spread on top of that a cloth of all blue and shall put in its poles, uh, put 
in its poles. And over the table of the bread of the presence, they shall spread a cloth of blue and put on it the plates, the dishes for incense, the bowls, and the flagons from the drink offering. The regular showbread also shall be on it. Then they shall spread over them a cloth of scarlet and cover the same with the covering of goatskin and shall put in its poles. And they shall take a cloth of blue and cover the lampstand for the light with its lamps, its tongs, its trays, and all the vessels for oil with which it is supplied. And they shall put it with all its utensils in a covering of goatskin and put it on the uh, carrying frame. And over the golden altar they shall spread a cloth of blue and cover it with a covering of goatskin and shall put in its poles. And they shall take all the vessels of the service that are used in the sanctuary and put them in a cloth of blue and cover them with the covering of goatskin and put them in the carrying frame. And they shall take away the ashes from the altar and spread a purple cloth over it. And they shall put on in it, uh, or on it all the utensils of the altar which are used for the service there. The firepans, the forks, the shovels, and the basins, all the utensils of the altar, and they shall spread on it a covering of goatskin, and shall put in its poles. And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, as the camp sets out, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to carry these. But they must not touch the holy things, lest they die. These are the things of the tent of meeting that the sons of Kohath are to carry. So again, this is the, the distinction that's made between Aaron and his sons and the Kohathite, uh, the Kohathites and all of their sons. And they were very clear. In fact, we read mostly the duties of Aaron and his sons. Verses 4 through 14 were all the duties of Aaron and his sons. That's what they were to do. They were to prepare all of these items, wrapping them up, carefully, put, putting them into the frame for carrying, and then put the poles in that frame. Once it was, in the, all of these items were in there, the way that God had commanded them to be put in there, and they were ready for the Levites to carry once the congregation was to go. Now, the reason why it was done this way was because the Kohathites were not authorized to touch any of the holy things. Only Aaron and his sons. So again, there's that distinction. Because if they touched the holy things, they would die. So of course, the Lord made it very clear, this is how you are to do it. And this is to make sure that none of the Levites die. He didn't desire for them to die. And so he made it very clear. Hey, these are my instructions. These are my commands. This is the way it should be done. And then we have how to move the tabernacle and its furnishings, and all the utensils, everything. Verse 16. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, shall have charge of the oil for the light, the fragrant incense, the regular grain offering, and the anointing oil, with the oversight of the whole tabernacle, and all that is in it of the sanctuary and its vessels. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Let not the tribe of the clans of the Kohathites be destroyed from among the Levites, but deal thus with them, that they may live and not die when they come near to the most holy things. Aaron and his sons shall go in and appoint them each to his task and to his burden. But they shall not go in to look on the holy things, even for a moment, lest they die. So curious, George, you don't want to be him, right? They want to go in. Just trust. Hey, listen, you, you, don't, you don't go into this area. You don't go in there to kind of gaze at things, look for something. Just, just stick to the plans. Make sure that you, you're working out all these details and making sure that you are fulfilling uh, your duties and no one else's. Just yours. Just the ones that have been assigned to you. Again, what we see here is that Eliezer, the son of Aaron, was chief over all of the leaders. And overall responsible for everything. Eliezer had specific areas that he was specifically responsible for doing, for taking care of uh, oil, the incense, regular grain offering, and the anointing oil itself. There was a limit to what the Kohathites could do, where they could go, what, what they could even look on. 
And also, there was an exactness about how it was that they were to move the items that Aaron and his sons were to prepare. And and that is by these poles that we had um, talked about earlier. It was only by them that they could carry these items and they couldn't touch any of the holy items. All of this work, again, was supervised by Eliezer. And then we have the Gershonite duties. Verse 21, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take a census of the sons of Gershon also by their fathers' houses and by their clans from 30 years old up to 50 years old. You shall list them, all who can come to, to do duty, to do service in the tent of meeting. This is the service of the clans of the Gershonites in serving and bearing burdens. They shall carry the curtains of the tabernacle on the tent of meeting with its covering and the covering of the goats, of goatskin that is on top of it and the screen for the entrance of the tent of meeting and the hangings of the court and the screen for the entrance of the gate of the court that is around the tabernacle and the altar and their cords and all the equipment for their service. They shall do all that needs to be done with regard to them. All the service of the sons of the Gershonites shall be at the command of Aaron and his sons in all that they are to carry and in all that they have to do. And you shall assign to their charge all that they are to carry. This is the service of the clans of the sons of the Gershonites in the tent of meeting and their guard duty is to be under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. So the Gershonites were directly to report to Eliasaph, but above him, the son of Aaron was Ithamar that was responsible for them in all of their duties. So we have Eliezer, and then now we have Ithamar. Ithamar, by the way, will take care of the Merarites as well. So we have that as, um, as the order in which they were to serve in this manner. This was... Um, I believe some, something that is difficult um, to understand at times. You know, we've been talking about order, kind of the, the uh, different levels of, of leadership and things like that. But <clears throat> I, I understand that that's somewhat difficult to do at times, to follow through with. Many people have a difficult time following the authority of one man, let alone like several, like you know, Eliezer just came and told me this, and now you uh, come and tell me this other thing, and like, which one do I do? (laughs) Right? You guys have never experienced that, right? I think we all have. And and really, what it should be, and, and think about this, because this is all to the glory of God. How much more should the people of God glorify God, right? Than them. So you have all these, these levels of, of leadership. And would it glorify the Lord if you had someone come to you, maybe you're the person who you directly report to and tell you one thing, and, and then the person who that person reports to come and tell you a little more. Would it really glorify the Lord to, be, to get into such a state of frustration? that you are really unproductive, that you throw your hands up, stomp off. And I'm, I'm picturing this happening because I've seen it done. Going to your supervisor, well, what do you want me to do? He's telling me to do this and you're telling me to do that. What do you want me to do? I can't, I can't seem to do anything right. What is that? Honestly, that's a tantrum. That, that's really child, childlike, right? To do that. For us, we are to practice. We are to practice those things that are found in the Word. So if, if there is some confusion, okay, you need to go to that person. Say, listen, you asked me to do this. She or he asked me to do that. I'm talking about like our, our situations and our jobs, right? Now, can you give me some clarification? What would you like me to do? Because right now I can't do both of them. Right? Would that not honor the Lord? Because ultimately we're doing as unto the Lord. Right? Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Right? 
So we need to think about that. That's why God's word is relevant today. It doesn't have to be kind of twisted and thrown out there in any way other than the way it is. Because <laughs> it applies today. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. What is good but that which is pleasing to the Lord, right? What is pleasing to the Lord but to abide in Him in faithful obedience. That's pleasing to the Lord. And if it weren't possible for this to be accomplished, then God would not have commanded it. You need to think about those things. So I could imagine, hey, listen, these issues, these problems, so to speak, remember that they were there even from the beginning. God designed for them to perfect the man. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of the Lord, of the Lord produces, produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In other words, that you would be mature, right? So all these things, from the very beginning, the Lord has used this perfectly to bring about a maturation in the man, in the person. So we have the duties of them was to care for the coverings of the tabernacle and to carry them in travel. Okay, let's go on to the Merarites and their duties. Verse 29. As for the sons of Merari, you shall list them by their clans and their father's houses from 30 years old up to 50 years old. You shall list them, everyone who can come on duty to do the service of the tent of meeting. And this is what they are charged to carry. As a whole of their service in the tent of meeting, the frames of the tabernacle with its bars, pillars, and bases, the pillars around the court with their bases, pegs, and cords, with all their equipment and all their accessories, and you shall list by name the objects that they are required to carry. This is the service of the clans of the sons of Merari, the whole of the service in the tent of meeting under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. So here's the Merarites' duties. They were, again, like I said earlier, also under the supervision of Ithamar, Aaron's son. They were responsible for the care of all the structural elements of the tabernacle. That, again, the frames, pillars, bases, just everything associated with the structure of the tabernacle itself. Their immediate supervisor, though, of their, of their, um, uh, for them, as far as the Levites were concerned, was Zerial. And so... These guys must have been like your, um, your weightlifters. You know, the guys that would walk around, you know, like that. Why? Because they were to, <laughs> all of these, the framework and all of this, uh, weighed about 19,000 pounds. That's a lot of weight. It's a lot of weight to, uh, to carry. And they were to carry them. Um, they, they didn't have, you know, trucks, flatbeds, you know, with uh, rails along the side. I mean, these were items that they carried. Um, they, they carried the burden. They carried the weight of it all. So that was their, their responsibility, all of that. Now, verses 34 through 49 is basically the summary of this census, the Levitical census, and that's what we're going to read through. Uh, verse 34 And Moses and Aaron and the chiefs of the congregation listed the sons of the Kohathites by their clans and their fathers' houses from 30 years old up to 50 years old, everyone who could come on duty for service in the tent of meeting. And those listed by, the clan, by clans were 2,750. This was the list of the clans of the Kohathites, all who served in the tent of meeting, whom Moses and Aaron listed according to the commandment of the Lord by Moses. Verse 38. Those listed of the sons of Gershon... By their clans and their fathers' houses, from 30 years old up to 50 years old, everyone who could come on duty for service in the tent of meeting, those listed by their clans and their fathers' houses, were 2,630. This was the list of the clans of the sons of Gershon, Gershon, all who served in the tent of meeting, whom Moses and Aaron listed according to the commandment of the Lord. Verse 42. Those listed of the clans of the sons of Merari, by their clans and their fathers' houses, from 30 years old up to 50 years old, everyone who could come on duty for service in the tent of meeting. 
Those listed by clans were 3,200. This was the list of the clans of the sons of Merari, whom Moses and Aaron listed according to the commandment of the Lord by Moses. Verse 46, all those who were listed of the Levites, whom Moses and Aaron and the chiefs of Israel listed by their clans in their father's houses from 30 years old up to 50 years old, everyone who could come to do the service of of ministry and the service of bearing burdens in the tent of meeting. Those listed were 8,580. According to the commandment of the Lord, through Moses they were listed, each one with his task of serving or caring. Thus they were listed by him as the Lord commanded Moses. So it's basically a summary. We've, we've gone through, we've read all these names, we know what their duties are. So what is it that we've seen here? You know, sometimes we go through, it's like, okay, from 30 to 50, there's so many. From one month old onward, there's this many. And so all of this breakdown, you know, what's what's the significance of everything? Well, as I stated earlier, it was God setting order amongst his people. It's to fulfill all the work that needed to be done. All of it, as I said earlier also, was working out within his people, that very character that was in, in God. It was to be reflected by them in their service unto him. It was understanding that they were there to serve him, that, they were, uh, that, that he was truly their Lord, and they would do so in a very detailed way. God was setting order and organization to the work of the tabernacle and its care, a fulfillment of this work just as God had designed it. The significance was simply the glorification of God. That is the glorification of God. And I want you to think about this in whatever it is that you're doing in your life. Because ultimately, for us, as we live our lives, it's simply to glorify the Lord. That's why it's important to know the word, because as we abide in Christ, we display and we demonstrate our love for him by obeying his commandments. That's what Jesus said, right? And so us glorifying the Lord has everything to do with knowing the word of God. C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, It is worthy of note that these Levites, although they were all equally consecrated to God, had not all exactly the same work to perform. God is not the God of all uniformity. There is a wondrous unity of plan and design in all that he does. But there is also an equally marvelous, uh, but, but there's also an equally marvelous thing in variety. Variety. So there's a variety. Everyone does their own part, right? It's different. And yet there's this beautiful unity within the body. Now, Paul referred to the church as a body with eyes and ears and, and hands and feet, everyone doing their own part, not one wanting to do the work of another. We need all of them. And each different part is just as important as the other. When everyone does their part, it serves a specific purpose. It's served to build itself up in love, in maturity, and in true unity with purpose. In fact, if you're jotting down some notes, jot down Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And it's all in love. So, it's the glory of God. We see it in every detail of God's people, in everything that they are to do. Even when they are traveling, they are to travel in a specific manner, in a specific order, it's pretty cool how it is that we can see God at work. God is laying out all of these assignments. And we need to, again, just reflect on that for a moment. See how it is that our, li- our, our lives, spiritually orderly, you know, are they really um, seeing the life around us and the work that we do and how it is that we interact with others in a manner that is glorifying to the Lord. Because really, for God's people, that's all that matters. See, our hope is, is certain. It, it's, it, our, our destination 
is already secured for us in Christ. So that's not the issue. Why is it that we're still living, God? It's to glorify Him, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. We, had to, we have to stay strong in our faith, standing upright before the Lord with a clean conscience, clean hands, clean heart, pure heart. You know, that is knowing that we are in a, in a right standing before Him and then living our lives to glorify Him in everything that we do. Everything has its place. Father, I pray that you help us to be faithful to you. Thank you, Lord. That even though that, even though we um, we understand we're we're imperfect, and when we, although we strive to be just orderly in our lives and all of that, Father, it's messy. And and I know that uh, you know that all too well. You know it better than we do. And yet, that standard is still there. Even though we don't have a tabernacle and all of its furnishings today, you have still given to us responsibilities. We are to be good stewards of those things that you've entrusted to us. And so I pray, Father, that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would give us godly wisdom, that you would help us, Lord, to stay close to you, to walk with you, and to bless you all the days of our lives. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.